0: Everybody, welcome to the Recovering Hypocrite podcast. I'm your host Noel Jesse Haken, and also the chief recovering hypocrite around these parts. And today is. October 31st, 2019. And what's significant about that is it's a Thursday and I'm recording this on Thursday um, because this is the one year anniversary of this podcast launching. And so one year ago, I had Harvey Turner on here, a buddy of mine, uh, to talk about the Reformation. We talked about Martin Luther and all things, uh, I guess, Lutheran. And I'm absolutely thrilled today with my guest, because here's a couple things uh, about my guest. I'll I'll tell you the things before I tell you who the guest is. The first thing is this guy is crazy hospitable, might be one of the most hospitable and generous guys that you would ever meet. He's also sneaky smart. And what I mean by that is he's not your uppity smart guy um, who wears his education like a badge. In fact, I think he's a doctor, but he'd never tell you that he was a doctor. Um, This is one of the most down to earth um, just one of my favorite people in the entire world, and he is a closet Michigan State Spartan fan. So um, we're going to get into all this in a minute with Doctor Stephen Trikler. Trik, Treich, how are you, sir?
1: Wow, that was uh, that was uh, that's not at all what you were saying to me a few minutes about myself. Well, that's because a few so... minutes ago
0: I was reading what you told me to say about you, and uh, <laughs> all the self-deprecating stuff just doesn't fly here.
1: Yeah, and, and the truth about the Michigan State thing is you're you're no real threat this year, <laughs> so I can I can go ahead and be a Michigan State guy and, and well
0: not, no, not betray no any. we're not a
1: but we both have a mutual a mutual hatred for uh, the Wolverines so th- there there is that's that.
0: true now now so so you better give some context first of all where are you so that it would be weird that you're a Spartan um, and why is it that you're a closet Spartan fan.
1: Yes, well, I'm I'm here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the eight and O Minnesota Gophers, eight and O. Who'll That's be an
0: amazing golf team?
1: Yeah, it is. The, uh, they will be playing the dreaded Nittany Lions this weekend, or no, next weekend. Oof. So we're uh, the whole. Th- this has been uh, since 1941. We have not been eight and O. So uh, we're very excited about that, and so I have a lot of friends from the Lansing area. In fact, I duck hunt with them. I just came from a duck hunting trip where I had asked Noel to secure me a some Michigan state wear, and I was the big hit because I was a fan of Sparty. Uh, so I, I've, I've always had a lot of friends in, in Lansing. In fact, my wife did a three-year stint in, in Lansing, and so we've always had a, a connection there. And again, you're no threat this year, so... <laughs> Well, so we're it's no, okay. Th-
0: well, okay, we're no threat to you when it comes to football, but basketball ranks oh, yeah. number one. Well, that, there's player.
1: that. There's that, and we're we're going to be no threat to you this year. So, <laughs> it's not going to be good.
0: We'll just have to have either our hockey or our baseball teams settle the difference.
1: There you go. There you go. That that yeah. could that can be arranged.
0: So, tri- so, so Trike, I was saying yeah. all the nice things about you earlier, but the official yeah. things are: you are senior pastor, Aluwatsukima lead pastor. I don't know what your title is at Hope Community Church in Minneapolis. That's yeah. Right? I mean, I
1: prefer Graham Puba, but uh-huh. uh, you can use any title you like. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, your Hope community church here in Minneapolis. I founded the church in 1996. Uh, we we literally did it. I know it sounds so pedantic, but we literally did it with 14 people in my living room. And we're one of those churches that had explosive growth to 20. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's interesting now because we have small groups in our church that are pushing 35 and 40. And I thought, wow, during the first year of the church, that was a great Sunday, you know, in some of our small groups now. So, no, we've been around for 23 years. We've had the privilege of planting through our church 11 churches. Um, uh, churches grown right around to about 1,000 now, It kind of tapers in and out matters if we're church planting or some of those things uh we're heavily involved with student ministry so we've had a lot of college students over the years uh be a part of the ministry and so that has been just a thrill uh to be a part of uh, the ongoing spiritual development and watching christ become important to to college students for me that was real significant because that's how that's when and how i came to christ was in college and so just have always loved college students even though i'm i'm very uh my youngest child now is uh, in his second year out of college, and so I'm, uh, I'm not only a dinosaur, I'm the father of dinosaurs when it comes to, mm. to, to ministry, and yet we still are having a significant uh, and fun Uh, time with college students
0: well but you know when you talk about being a father of dinosaurs what you really are is a father of church planters and up in the upper midwest you oversee that whole area for Acts 29 and when i spend time with guys up in your region it is just clear that you're the dad you're and and i say that in a in all of the most affectionate ways, some people have bad experiences with their dad. Oh no, <laughs> the dad. no, but this is the good dad. Yeah, you are the the. Um, you are a great example of a father to all those guys up there. So. Um, it is, it, it's, and you've been that to me. You've been an older brother for me who's really helped me in my own life. So, here's the thing I, I, we could talk about all that stuff day yep. long, but yep. I have two topics Great. that I thought would be fun to talk about today. And I'm just going to give you both topics at the beginning. Um, and then we're just going to hit them and just see what we do. The first topic is Halloween, I just want to talk about Halloween with you, and then the second is Reformation Day, since it is. Today is both of those things. I thought there's yeah. nobody I'd rather talk to about those two things than you. Wow.
1: Great. Okay.
0: So so here's my first question for Halloween. On a scale of all out, you and Carol convert your house into a haunted house and you are the place everybody in the neighborhood goes to because you give away the full-size candy bars and the shots of, uh, of um I was going to say tequila. Or, sh- yeah. We'll say cinnamon schnapps, ah. um, all the way to the, I turn my lights off and we hide in the basement and don't talk to anyone on Halloween on that spectrum. Where are you guys?
1: Uh, okay. So now you, you, you did that to me. So now I got to tell you a story because uh, otherwise my answer won't make any sense. Only child, a uh, kind of a shy only child and would go trick or treating oftentimes by myself or with, uh, with maybe one other friend or something like that. And our neighborhood, I grew up um, in a hibbing, Minnesota. It's a mining town, rough town, a whole thing. And as we go through the neighborhood, what I remember about Halloween was going to houses that scared the daylights out of me with a a guy opening the door with a wife beater on, yelling at us, smelling of Marlboro's (laughs) and Jack Daniels. And, and what do you kids want? Why do you kids always want free things? <laughs> Terrified. So uh, I think Halloween always has left me with a sense of like, uh, you know, trigger reaction of like my childhood, little PTS. What would you call it? Post Halloween uh, syndrome or something. P-H, and so, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and I, I wasn't a follower of Christ until I got to college. So I didn't grow up with uh, Halloween's evil thing like that. I grew up with. I don't know, I got all these issues. I always hated Halloween. I don't really I'm not a big candy person to begin with. so and Carol really wasn't either. and so when we asked our kids and kind of talked to them about it, hey we can uh we can do the whole Halloween thing or we can go out with another family and we can just hang out and go do a uh every Halloween we do this big thing with them at a uh, a local kind of like a Dave and Buster's, but it was a local kind of thing. They said, let's go do that. It was great because it was always empty. So we were never like haters. Uh, we don't do it because it's evil or anything like that. Heck, it's uh, the the it's the All Hallows Eve, right? I mean, it's the it's the celebration of our our faith and all that. But at the same time, we weren't really big into it, and there wasn't in our neighborhood. You know, we, we live in the city, and there wasn't a a lot of kids that that uh, were there. So uh, now you know, now I guess I'm a little more grandpa in the neighborhood, and so all the little kids come up, and I, they all know me and. And so we probably lean more towards, uh, you know, we don't decorate everything out, but we definitely, uh, I'm the guy that says, take as much candy as you want. Yeah. So, so. I,
0: I Honestly, I think Christian should be, this is like the, this is the holiday where like other holidays everybody goes and hides in their house with their family this is the holiday where your neighbors come to you yeah and 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 it's a chance to be radically generous my wife is always so so here's a true story my wife always over candy she buys candy for a month leading up to halloween because she doesn't want to spend all that money in a week. She buys that much candy. Wow. She's the one who, when people come up, she's like, I want you to take handfuls. And she's freaking out this year because tonight we're supposed to right, get one right. to three inches of snow. So she's like, nobody's coming over. We're going to have all this candy.
1: Oh, really? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and that part of it too is, you know, we've never lived in a, I mean, we lived in the city. And so at best we've had, I think our biggest year was 20 kids uh 20, 20 rings of the doorbell i think yeah, so on an average really year now we get maybe like 7 or 8 or whatever like that so i'm like hey take as much as you want put your hand there and grab what you want kid you know my neighborhood is
0: a blast when you have good weather uh, on a good weather um halloween they have bonfires and people, even some of the adults and parents in costume and people hang out outside for hours. And it's just an absolute blast.
1: Okay. Let me ask you this then since, uh, and I'll interview you since, uh, please, do you like to like, you know, go to dress up parties or where you have to dress up as your favorite, I don't know, uh, rock star or whatever it is. I mean, is that something you like to do? Is that something you like that whole thing?
0: Okay, so I, I don't know that I've ever actually been to a Halloween party. That's a true statement. But um, I, for when my kids were uh, little and we would do the trick-or-treating, because we're past the trick-or-treating age right now, I would always, every year, dress up. <laughs> and I would walk around with my kids around the neighborhood, and I was always dressed up. Even this year, I've got my Martin Luther shirt on in honor of Reformation Day, but I am considering, I have a monk's robe. I'm considering wearing that tonight. Uh, So when people come over, it'd be my little nod to to Martin Luther.
1: I like it. I I mean, uh, with the beard you got going, it it limits the characters you can do. I'm just going to say. Yeah, well, it is a
0: little more John Calvin than Martin Luther. There is that. Um, Yeah. You've you've
1: definitely got some Swiss reformer thing happening. (laughs) Yes, Um, exactly. Yeah.
0: So you're not like... Anti Halloween, like what is your posture toward holidays like this? Like when people in your church ask you about them and they say, Hey, uh, how should I as a Christian think about Halloween? What's your answer to them?
1: You know, it, it that's a great question. I don't get asked it that often. Uh, actually, I, you know, I we we don't have a lot of people in our church that grew up in the more, uh, conservative or strict or fundamentalistic or whatever background, uh, we get, we, we that's not kind of, and that wasn't my background either, either. And so, um,
0: so you guys are all just bikers and liberals. Well,
1: well that, that's <laughs> Minneapolis for you. Yeah. It's, just, it's uh-huh. just, so I don't really get asked that a whole lot, but I, I kind of have the same answer that I would ask for somebody's, you know, I probably get more asked more often, what should we do about schooling? For our kid, you know, and that, that they've gotten some pressure from some of their friends on that. And I will always say, you're the parent, you figure it out. I mean, you know, and, and I, I don't have a, I don't have a dog in this fight. I, I do I have a personal belief that as a, I was trained as a public school teacher and I think uh, public public education is one of the greatest ways we can spread common grace, I think, in society. But what you do with your kids, uh, dude, figure it out. Uh, and by the way, don't ever let anybody else tell you what's uh, God's design or not God's design. It's like because everyone can make a great argument for any one of them—public uh, charter, private, you know, whatever—and uh, homeschool that whole kind of thing. Uh, the people that I get after in my church—and I don't have many of them—but they're the ones that promote one and one only thing. And it's like, oh no, no, not okay. So if you uh, the same on the Halloween thing, if somebody was like saying hey, we really, you know, it's wrong for Christians to not do it, I would say, ah, let's be careful with that, you know. And the same as if some people say, oh, it's wrong for Christians to do it. I'm like, no. It's not Uh, well, and and
0: here's the thing, Trike. That's that is one of the sweet spots in your theology. And one of the things I like about you is you're going to stand where Scripture stands, and you're going to allow freedom where Scripture does not take a stand. And this seems like a perfect example of that.
1: Yeah, and I I think part of it too is like when people say, you know, what did you do with your kids? It's like, are you asking me what I did it based on moral thinking? Very little had very little to do with moral thinking. It was more pragmatic. I don't personally like the. I it has bad. I didn't get abused or anything, but it was terrifying for me as a child. Uh, And so I didn't ever, you know, as soon as I became sixth grade or something, I quit. Like, can I stop doing this? I think I said to my parents, and they were like. Yeah, you don't have to do this. if You don't want to. And so, all they
0: do is give me cigarettes and Jack Daniel's. Right, so, exactly. So, so, so let me give you my biggest traumatic Halloween moment, because this is going to transition us well to talk about Reformation Day. Uh, a number of years ago, and someone on staff just reminded me of this today, because this is the stuff of legend around here. Uh, a number of years ago... On Halloween, one of the pastors at our church, who shall remain nameless, yeah, um, called me and said, um, or texted me and said, hey, are you wearing a costume to church today? And and I was not preaching on Halloween. And all my, my kids loved wearing costumes on Halloween. So like on Halloween, if they went to church, they could go as Batman. I don't care. Hey, right. To see Batman learning about Jesus is a wonderful thing. Yeah. So he, But he texted me and said, hey, are you going to wear a costume? You would be shocked at how many people are wearing costumes at church today. And I kid you not, uh, my my filter did not catch the fact that he was setting me up. So I I said, really, people are wearing costumes, and I and he he said, yeah. And I said, well, what are you wearing? And he told me a costume he was wearing, and and he goes, you should wear a costume today. And so I have this monk's robe, so I threw on my monk's robe. And I got to church and I'm walking into church, me and my monk's robe, all of my kids in their costumes, and there was zero people in church that Sunday wearing any costumes at all.
1: Wow. Uh, yeah, you just got played, sucker.
0: I got played hard, and it's still the stuff of legend. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, it sounds like church discipline's still going on. So I, I don't, uh-huh. want, to, I don't want to enter into that.
0: <laughs> so, so uh, that's our transition to our favorite monk, um, yeah, uh, Martin Luther. Yeah. Reformation Day, the day that he nailed the ninety-five theses on on the 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 door of the church there um, in Wittenberg. Um, this is obviously uh, the anniversary of that, and you and I have talked. Luther quite a bit, just in our interactions as, as friends over the years. And here's my tee off question that we can go wherever we want to go with this. What bits of Martin Luther's theology um, does the church need to hear today? Uh, What are the bits that we keep missing? that we still miss today. Have you uh, oh. ever considered that question? I know I'm setting you oh, up. Oh man, you are warning.
1: you are that's a beautiful thing and to use the the Halloween metaphor, you just put a kid in a candy store uh with that question. Because this is one of my passions. I I, I do feel that it is what what is lacking in many uh, you know, good Bible believing Jesus following churches as they look at their Uh, discipleship uh, programs or discipleship of individuals or how do I grow as a Christian or all those things. Uh, I'll state it not the way that Luther states it, but I'll state it the way I state it, which may sound a little egocentric, and and that's not my intention. It's just to make it clear. What I think Luther does and what he fundamentally changes is not only how a person comes into saving faith with Jesus. Uh, Of course, Luther does that, right? Well known for um, grace alone, faith alone, I get that. And, and Luther does a wonderful job of that. And of course it changes the world. I'm not trying to, please don't hear me diminish that. But what I think for Luther is very important then is the separation of the covenants for the believer as well. And I think what Luther, what Luther pounds into the head of his followers, and so then it, it moves now from uh, I should do these things, I have to do these things, and for Luther, it moves now into, I get to do these things. And that, in the life of a believer, is no small distinction. In fact, I would argue it is the main distinction that will help a person, I think, grow in grace and not just grow in trying to please God even by your actions or works later on. And Luther's insistence on that throughout throughout his ups and downs, admittedly, uh, is one of the, I think, as a believer, uh, what I'm most indebted to this man for. Oh, of course, justification by faith. I, I vote yes, okay? If I get a vote, I vote yes, uh, of course. But what he, he does and what I see in a lot of other people of that time and since is they would say justification is by grace. But I don't know that they believe that sanctification is also by grace. And, and, and even though they might use that word, they will say the believer is under obligation to follow the laws of the New Testament. And that makes me and Martin Luther cringe because we'd say, no, the believer is now set free from the law of sin and death in order to walk in the ways of the New Testament. And that's not a small difference. And Luther brings that to the table.
0: So f- from a practical standpoint, for Joe attender in your church or my church, um, it, it is it is one thing to hear that preached or to hear that espoused the way you just did. How does that affect day-to-day living? you know, parenting, child rearing, all those things. It's almost like, it's like Larry Osborne, uh, our our music friend Larry, says people need a need to know or need to grow moment in their life before they're going to, you know, hear a message. Um, How does that message land in the practical nitty gritty of people's lives?
1: I I use it all the time. And in fact, uh, uh, you know, just let's get real practical here with men. I, I tell men, they, they come and say, man, I'm struggling with pornography, uh, uh, internet pornography. Okay, great. And then, so I have to get to that and say, if you were to stop looking at pornography, uh, do you feel like that would make you okay with God? Like right now, you're not okay with God. And therefore, once I get this figured out, then then I'm okay. And I say to them, what if I told you right now that you're okay with God and we don't like this porn thing, let's deal with it. Would that make a difference? And they all kind of go, that'd make a huge difference. Uh, I feel like I'm condemned. I feel like I'm all of these things. Oh, so you you feel that your behavior is leading you to a place where you're no longer acceptable before God. That's exactly what I'm saying. And then I say, oh, we have something for that. It's called the gospel of Jesus. See, you got to understand something. Your, your behavior, if you think just because you get rid of porn, you think now that you're clean before God, Brother, I know you well enough, I could list 25 sins uh, in your life, if you'd like. Uh, No, no, That's not, again, I'm not voting yes to sin, and Luther never did either. his widely quoted in, you know, while people hold up beer mugs and say, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. uh, Luther is actually just trying to say, if you really understand grace, you would understand that your standing with God has nothing to do with your behavior. It is based on someone other than you and that you are in Christ. I like to tell my guys it this way. I say, listen, man, on judgment day, you understand the fancy phrase imputation, right? And on judgment day, you're not going to get judged on your works. You're going to get judged on the life of Jesus. And they say, well, wait a minute now, isn't there this, you know, where I'm going to have to give an account? And I say, sure, but think of it this way. Think of it that you don't come in a courtroom, you don't stand there alone. You stand there married to Jesus because you are one in Christ. And you are going to, an accounting is going to have to be of your life. And guess what, brother? You're going to be found guilty. But he's going to look at the one that you're unified to, and the father's going to say, and the penalty was paid in full. And then he's going to look at the son and say, you're going to be found innocent. And going to look at us and say, and you get that benefit. Now, people say, well, if that's the case, Really, if that's the case, uh, well, then why would I bother living a holy life? And if I say, okay, so if the only way you're going to get flowers for your wife is because she's going to be mad at you or disown you or maybe divorce you if you don't, is that love then that you're doing this just to appease the beast? Is that your view of God? You've kind of got him almost on this, this pagan idea of I just must keep the deity happy by my behavior. Dude, your behavior is never going to be good enough. And I'm telling you, having this conversation, it sounds like, oh, really? This is how you talk to people about porn? Absolutely. And then we talk about, great, what's what's going on in your life? What are the, some of the idols in your life leading to this? Uh, who's in your life you're talking to? What's an accountability structure? Do you have filters on your computer? All that. Yes, of course I do. But if you start there, you just leave people down this road of saying, I've got to appease God, And it's totally false.
0: Well, it all you know, in a lot of ways, I, th- I think what it is is a true and robust understanding of who we are in Christ. So if we are, Positionally seated with Jesus and the heavenlies, then right we now, look. Yep. Right now, which which scripture is very clear on, then the way we view our condition is from our position. So we look from our position to our condition, um, rather than being in our condition and looking toward our position, thinking I need to get from here to there. It's 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 a complete game changer. It's a mind oh, it's melt a t- when you really get
1: yeah. it. I've got a really good friend who wrote a book on this called Wretched Saint. Yeah, You, ought to, you should read it sometime. <laughs> it's a really good book. It, it is fun. Every other every other Thursday morning, it's fun to watch my wife lead uh, a group of women in our church, and they're going through your book right now. And oh, it's cool. fun to see um, I, you know, I, I've been preaching this for 23 years, so nobody in there is going, wow, I've never heard of this before. But at the same time, to really lay that down and say, you know, isn't this amazing? I, I loved, in, in that book, I think my favorite chapter is the, the chapter you do about Hosea. And mm-hmm. I think as we, you know, as, as, as kind of as we're taught to read Hosea early on in our experience, I think our, the, the way we read it is we're taught, be like Hosea, be a generous person. The point of Hosea is we're all Gomer. Everybody's exactly. Gomer.
0: Exactly.
1: That's the point. We are Gomer. And isn't it amazing that our God still comes after us and still loves us?
0: Well, you know, one of the things that I often say is that it's just, and and it showed up in one of my books, I can't remember if it was in Wretched Saints or the other one, is the idea that uh, because of Jesus, uh, God is pleased with me. Yeah. Nevertheless, God is not pleased with my sin. But because Jesus has already handled my sin, all that's left is that God is pleased with me.
1: Right. Right. Amen. Right
0: and 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 we we need to lean into it more. In I, I think really truly the way we get set free from our sin here conditionally speaking is by leaning into our positional righteousness. Because it's in those moments that the rest of our kind of our sinfulness and our sinful carcass kind of longs to be sucked up into that. Yeah. You know? Um it, it is by truly dwelling on and and meditating on and thinking about who we are in christ and that's where that that's that's the the mind-numbing stuff
1: yeah and i think you know biblically if you look at romans 6 right should we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means he says but he doesn't say because what's wrong with you you know or do you know what jesus did for you how can you turn your back on him He doesn't say that. He says, we died to sin. Why should we live it any longer? Don't you realize that those who've died with Christ have also been raised with him? It's all union language. And then he ends it by saying this. He says, sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. And I point that to my friends who say, you know, people in ministry who would disagree with me on this issue and say, no, 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 Christians should live a certain way. And I say, if you lead a guy trying to help him to get off pornography by just showing him there's trouble ahead for you if you don't, and here's uh, the rules in order to get rid of pornography in your life, what you've just done is given them law, and what that, that passage tells me is you just gave sin power.
0: In the book of James, famously, where I mean Martin Luther hated the book of James, but he, but but because it's it, it, it faith without right. works is dead. But on the heels of saying faith without works is dead, James says, "So live by the law of liberty." <laughs> it's right. crazy. It's like no, live as someone who is set free. That's what that's what changes who you are.
1: Yeah, and and to be fair to Luther on the the James thing. Uh Luther does not have access to all of the exegetical things we now have, which says that James is talking is James is not talking in the same way about uh faith and works that the apostle Paul is in the book of Romans and Galatians. He's coming at this from a different angle. James and, and Paul are not in conflict at all. Uh but Luther doesn't know that. He this is 1517 for crying out loud. He's He's, you know, there isn't anything out there that he can look to. He can't click on his Logos and read 12 different commentaries and, you know, and find those things out. And so he can only equate it saying it has to be this or it has to be that. That's where you have to, you know, we have to put these people in their historical context and say that's what they had available to them. So, of course, it seems to him a contradiction. It should be out. But, you know, we know now that no, no, it's not at all. And, and it's beautiful. And, it's, and that, that's the way the Christian has the opportunity to live is that of course it works out that way because my heart is filled with love for my wife. I love to give her flowers. I don't give her flowers so that I appease the beast. And so she's just, it's nice to me. You know, that's not the kind of relationship I want with my wife.
0: You know, I'm, I'm reading a book right now called delighting in the Trinity or huh. something like that. And one of the things that he, that he talks about is the fact that for God, To be a father who loves eternally, he must have eternally been in relationship with not only Jesus, the son, but the Holy Spirit in the fact that if you have a love for just this one, it could be a little bit narcissistic, but the love for the two is broader and that our, the love in creation flows out of that because that's who he is. Yeah. Um, and even reflecting on the Trinity as I'm reading this book and I'm learning about the the relationship between God the Father and and the Son in eternity past and now to think that that love that is directed at Jesus is now directed at me seated in the heavenlies with him, seated at the right hand of God the Father, that same eternal love it's it's it's, it, it changes and softens and tenderizes my heart toward other people around me. I just can't help but do that. It Amen. just flows from one to the other.
1: And, and for me, uh, this whole understanding of grace hit me about two years into my Christian experience. I was a, a junior or senior in college, and all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh. And then I could, the whole Bible made sense now. And what you're just talking about there, about the Trinity, uh, you start to look at, the high priestly prayer in John 17, Mm. and you start to go, oh my gosh, and then Jesus does. He takes that relationship between him and the Father and says, and I give it unto them. I want them to be in us the same way I am in you. And you start to go, this is not some God up there who's just rolling his eyes at us because we just hates us because of our wickedness and, and all these things. He's one who says, I deeply desire you, and there's a significant sin problem here that's going to cost the voluntary death of the second person of the Trinity to solve. And he lays down preference in the garden saying, is there any other way? Let's do it. And he says, but if there's not, I'll do it. And there isn't any other way. And Jesus goes through with it. And when you start to realize that I'm completely okay in Jesus, not just uh, that moment that I accept Christ, but every moment, then other, I am locked in him, sealed in by the Holy Spirit like a big Tupperware. I'm stuck in it. You start to move from this sense of duty to delight. And, and it's like, I delight in this relationship.
0: I can't resist but to go back to this book that I'm reading. One of the things he talks about is he says, if God is first creator or first judge or any of these things we miss who he is in his character he is all of those things but he is first father and the thing that he was doing in eternity past is he was loving the son yeah amen that is that is who he is first right um and everything else flows out from that and 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 to experience the love of that, um, even in that, but the high priestly prayer that you just described or Jesus's interaction with him in the garden, <laughs> um, you know, where he is just racked with, you know, the separation he's going to have with his father. I think that's where he's, why he's sweating drops of blood there. Just, um, knowing that his father's going to turn his, his back on him for the first time. Just all of that, just the enormity of that love.
1: And, and you, you said kind words in the beginning, and you said I'm a very hospitable person and all that. I would put that right back to you because I know that I know that I know that Jesus Christ deeply loves me and accepts me exactly the way I am, wants me to continue to grow in grace, but he has completely paid for everything and has grasped me toward him. And therefore, I can confidently love others. I can lay my life down and move into others. I'm not trying to blow any, my own horn here. I'm just saying being set free from the idea that First John says we love because he first loved us. It changes everything. It, it's, it's no longer duty. It's no longer I should do this. It's like I have a T-bone steak in front of you. And you say, well, I suppose I should eat that. It's like, dude. You get to chow that. It's a missed opportunity that you don't spend time in the Word. It's not, oh, I should do it, or, you know, I suppose it's good for me, like it's castor oil or something, you know, that we, we it's good for us, but we don't want to do it. It's like, no, this is a love relationship with the, the lover of your soul. And, and what heaven is going to be is a, a return to the Garden of Eden where he walks with us in the cool of the day, as the text says. I think that's when the Christian life gets really exciting. And you know who I thank? luther to bring it full circle how do you like that
0: well trike we could probably sit here and talk about this until the kids are ringing our doorbells and yes and asking in a sugar-induced haze yes and we have in the past yes and yes and we have again thank you for your friendship oh, thank brother. you for your wisdom thank you for your generosity and hospitality oh, thank and you my friend. thanks for being on today absolutely you just, you're, my pleasure you're one of my favorite people
1: yeah, there you go. Ghost <laughs> party.